it's really powerful the way that we talk to ourselves and the way that we think about the thoughts that we have and that we approach the feelings that we have. And a lot of times what we're feeling doesn't have to be what we're actually feeling. And a lot of times like nervous and excitement and anxiety are the same thing. And we just need to make the active decision to be like, no, I'm not nervous, I'm excited about this. And it will completely change the whole experience that you have. Welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and on the podcast today is Lauren Martin. She's the founder and head writer of Words of Women and author of the brand new book, The Book of Moods. Lauren started Words of Women when she was searching for something to help herself and other women who were feeling lost. And it's become this really beautiful online and physical community dedicated to the growth and development of women. And I have been following Lauren and Words of Women for as long as I can remember. So I was so excited to sit down with her for this conversation because now she's really sharing through her new book, The Book of Moods, how to navigate our emotional triggers and and turn our worst emotions into our best lives. And in today's episode, we really chat about the inspiration behind The Book of Moods, why the book is a love letter to herself and other women, and the impact of infusing Lauren's own personal journey into the book. Lauren shares why our emotions are such a powerful force, and she also shares with us different tools to navigate emotional triggers and really begin to harness our negative emotions and transform them into something positive. We have a really beautiful conversation too about the wisdom that's found in our different emotions. And Lauren also shares with us her mantras for self-love, why we need to really let ourselves experience and celebrate these in-between moments in life, her biggest dream, and so much more. Before we dive in to today's new episode with Lauren, a couple of things I want to share. First, just as a reminder, Seek the Joy podcast is now on YouTube. And if you haven't already, I would be so grateful if you were to subscribe to our channel. I'll make sure to include the link in the show notes. I'm so excited to start to share these conversations live on YouTube every week. Also, I want to thank everyone who has left a rating and review for Seek the Joy over the last, I don't know, like three years. If you haven't already left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, I would be so grateful if you did. Ratings and reviews really help the show get seen by new people and also show and share people, share with people what Seek the Joy is really all about. And one of our most recent reviews says, so fun. It's from Carly F. And it says, just listened to Sydney's podcast for the first time and loved it. I love the range of guests she has and the topics she covers. Can't wait to go back and listen to all the old episodes. Highly recommend. Another one from TLD Taryn. Oh, Taryn. Hi. It says, love this podcast. Sydney is so fun and just makes me smile when I listen to this podcast full of positivity and life. Love it. Oh, I am so grateful, honestly, for all of these reviews of the show. If you haven't already, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, and then take a screenshot of that review and send it to sydney at seekthejoypodcast.com, and I'll send you a little something-something to say thank you. I am really happy to share with you today's sponsor, BetterHelp. 
We are going through some challenging times, and I know that you're feeling it too. Now more than ever, it's important that we have reliable resources that we can turn to, and that's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's easy and free to change counselors if you don't think the person you're matched with is a good fit. This service is available for people worldwide too. During this time, I have found it's really valuable to talk to someone about what you're going through, whether that be anxiety, depression, grief, and loss, and BetterHelp offers a broad range of expertise in their counselor network. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions too, which, if you ask me, is a game changer. I want you to be able to live a happier, more joyful, and ease-filled life, and I'm excited to share that as a listener of Seek the Joy podcast, you will get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash seekthejoy. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's betterhelp.com slash seekthejoy. The link will also be included in our show notes. All right, guys, that's it. I am so excited to share with you today's new episode with Lauren Martin. Her new book, The Book of Moods, really shares her journey to infusing her life with a sense of peace and stability. And after five years of studying the most fascinating, enigmatic, and brilliant women of history, Lauren is sharing her lessons from these women, their failures, their strength, and their stories with the help of psychology and philosophy to really crack the code on what it means to turn our worst moods into our best lives. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Lauren Martin. Lauren, I am really excited to have you on the podcast because I think what you've built both with Words of Women, but your new book, The Book of Moods, it's really timely and inspirational, but also this piece that I think is the most important is that it's really empowering and you have facilitated conversations that focus on our emotions and our reactions and how they can both I think help us, but also maybe hurt us. So welcome to the podcast. I'm, I'm really excited to have you. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Um, I feel like, you know, we are in this crazy time. And in a way, I was kind of nervous, like, oh, is this book kind of like silly with all we're going through? But I mm-hmm. feel like now that we're home, home all the time and kind of forced to reevaluate our lives and the way we live our lives, it's actually fits really well because we are kind of forced to evaluate ourselves and our emotions and how we react to small and big things. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point, especially in the year 2020 and now, you know, bleeding into 2021. You're right. We are home. We're handling things differently. We, I mean, I don't know about you, but I started working from home for the first time ever in 2020. And that brought along different curveballs and emotions and, you know, moments of like total frustration throughout this entire pandemic. And what I love so much about your book is that you really infuse your own journey. You share your journey um, to finding a sense of peace and stability. So if we could, I would love to start there. What inspired the book? What has your journey been like? Um, Yeah, let's start there. Yeah. So um, basically, Uh, About five years ago, I was living in New York. I, you know, was on track with my dream job. I was writing for a major publication. I had just moved in with my boyfriend. Like life by all, you know, outward accounts was great. Mm -hmm. And 
at the same time, I kept falling into these moods, like these little things kept tripping me up and I wasn't like appreciating my life. So what happened was one night I came home from work and I had been a bad day and I was just in a bad mood. Like I just typical, like had a bad subway commute, long day at work, just wanted to get home. I get home and my boyfriend's cooking dinner and he's like super excited to see me. He's in a good mood and like he always is. And I'm just, you know, miserable. And he you know, finally just cracks. He's like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't live with someone who's, you know, perpetually up and down, like constantly swinging into these bad moods. It's exhausting for me. And we, we kind of broke up for a little. And it was the first time I realized like, oh my God, like my moods don't just affect me now that I'm living with someone, they affect other people. Mm -hmm. And my whole life, I'd just been like, I deal with myself and whatever. But when you get older, you start to realize like, okay, if I want to have an actual partnership with someone, I need to take a look at myself. And maybe the way that I act and respond to things actually isn't working. And it's okay. Like before it was okay. If I'm in a bad mood, I'll just spend Saturday in a funk watching Netflix all day. But when you're in a relationship with someone, you're forced to kind of reevaluate the way you've been acting. And like, he doesn't want to see someone in a bad mood all day. It affects him. So I started realizing like these moods don't just affect me. And if I'm going to keep my relationship and also I want to be happy, like I I am living this amazing life yet. I'm not appreciating it. I just keep falling into these bad moods and wasting all of these like amazing moments. And I just decided like, this is it. Like I need to make a huge change. And I kind of went down this rabbit hole of like, what are moods and why do women feel them? And why doesn't my boyfriend feel them the way I feel them? Mm. And is it just me or is it other women? And that's kind of what started everything where it's women and the book. Hmm. I know in your book that you describe a mood as this exaggerated emotional state. And so I'm curious through your work and your research, your research, why are our emotions such a powerful force? And why do we often forget that, you know, not everyone experiences things the same way? Like my experience is different from yours, just like you shared yours is different from your boyfriend. So yeah, I'm curious, because I think we often forget about just how powerful our moods can really be. Yeah, I feel like the there's like this undercurrent of the book that I really wanted people to kind of get out of it at the end, which is like, we're all living our, in our own little microcosms of life and we're all having experiences and these experiences are molding us, but these experiences are also, you know, put like they're triggers, right? And we all have very different triggers. So the things that trigger me might not be the things that trigger you. But what happens is when someone is triggered, they take that emotion with them. And if you don't know how to get out of it, what happens is then they are acting within that emotional state. And then we start interpreting their emotional state as something to do with us. And usually it has absolutely nothing to do with us. And that was um, a big part of the book was also when I realized like, I know my moods are so individual. And I know that like, I'm having this experience by myself and I'm in a bad mood because of something that has nothing to do with my husband, yet I'm taking it out on him. Mm-hmm. And also realizing that if I'm having these individual experiences, everyone else is. And also it's very liberating to know that like their moods or your mood has nothing to do with me. Because I think for women, and I speak about this in the book, we're biologically programmed from way, way, like from years before when we basically were supposed to and provide for our species, we developed this inherent obsession with looking into other people's emotions just to sense if there's a threat. And so we've carried that over. And so I think women are hyper alert to other people's emotions and other people's moods. So we always assume it's something to do with us when in reality, it's nothing to do with us. Yeah, that's such an interesting point and perspective. And I didn't know that about like way back when, when 
we were like hunter gatherers or providing for our families in that way that women innately were sensing out moods as a way of safety and security. I mean, that's fascinating. It just goes to show how much is ingrained um, in the human species, especially as women, because I don't, I don't know about you, but I do this all the time where I'm like trying to sense out somebody's mood or how are they feeling or how do they feel about me? Or is this really about me? But really you're so right. It's not it. It, I remind myself this all the time. It actually has more to do with the other person, their experience, with their feeling more so than it does with how they feel about me or, or me at all. Exactly. And it's almost like egocentric of us to always assume that someone's reacting to us all the time when usually they're not thinking about us at all. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point too. I love what you said earlier about emotional triggers and how your triggers might be different from mine. And I think in 2020 and this year alone, I mean, the world has been so tumultuous and there have been so many changes and there are so many triggers that are popping up for people, maybe new ones that we haven't even experienced before. Are there any tools or practices or just things that you've relied on um, to help you navigate the emotional triggers in your life, uh, whether it be, you know, leading up to writing the book or while writing the book or or even in the last year? Yeah. So, One of the biggest things of this book is I group the chapters by my specific triggers. However, my triggers are, um, as you read, you'll see they're they're an example of a larger trigger. So while I might be the only one who's triggered by my mom's comments, which I know I'm not, but I might be more (laughs) than the next person, it has less to do with my mother and more to do with my expectation of my mother or um, my family dynamic. And it's like the past and the future. When I stress about work, it's less to do about my job and more about anxiety and how I, I don't know how to handle that anxiety when it comes on. So all the triggers might be individual, but they represent a larger emotion that I haven't learned how to deal with. Mm. Um, and I think that learning to even name your triggers and notice them and start categorizing them is super powerful. Um, there's, there's liberation in naming things. Like they say a disease, you know, when you don't know why you're sick, that's what stresses you out. Like, why do I have this pain right now? What am I feeling? But when you get a diagnosis, then you can work on, okay, like getting better. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing was like, just being able to figure out what my triggers were was really liberating and being like, okay, my mom triggers me. Okay. Um, Instagram triggers me. Okay. This triggers me. So then I can feel like now I can get a handle on it now that I've named it. And I think just first off being able to, and that's kind of fun being able to be like, okay. And it takes you out of, I think the emotional reaction. And I talk about this, how like analyzing yourself can be, um, a really good way to take you out of like this, this spinning or this, Mm -hmm. you might be just churning and cycling. So it's like, take yourself out of the moment by saying, what is bothering me? Why is it bothering me? And that's kind of the crux of the book. Um, and I really hope that's what people get out of it is kind of sort of taking themselves out of the moment and being like, Ooh, this is my trigger. And then noticing it when it pops up again. And then there's tons of different like ways in the book that I talk about treating triggers. Um, you know, for example, like depletion is a big trigger of mine. And that's, it's really, I'd say it's work, but the underlining emotion is trigger mm-hmm. or it's um, depletion. And that's when, you know, you just run out of that willpower. Um, and you just are, it's a psychological concept. By the end of the day, you're just so depleted that you can't, you don't have the same inner resources to deal with maybe an aggressive email or a rude comment from a friend. So you react maybe more aggressively than you normally would, or it hurts you more than you normally would, mm-hmm. or bad decisions and start drinking, even though you said you weren't going to drink on a Tuesday night. So 
once you understand its depletion, you can take some of the, the tips from the book, which for example, I have, um, you know, they found that dopamine helps restore our willpower. So finding ways to give yourself that little boost throughout the day, and that might be taking an hour after you get home from work to watch The Real Housewives. Mm. And something like I never used to do, like I would just come home from work and try and make dinner and then be in a bad mood and take it out on my husband. So now it's like, when I know I'm depleted, I can say, hey, like I'm depleted. I'm going to go watch Real Housewives for an hour because it's going to help me relax. And then I can come and make dinner and be a better person. Yeah. I love what you just shared because I think my biggest takeaway from what you just shared is that first of all, we need to interrupt those moods and we need to interrupt those triggers. And a great way to do that is to start off by naming them. And then the next step is really what you shared too, which is, okay, start to ask yourself, what is causing me to feel this way? Like what is the underlying thing? And fatigue, depletion, anger, frustration, sadness. I mean, they all live so much below the surface that if we just were to take, you know, a moment to hit pause um, and be introspective in that way, I, I think it makes a huge difference. But we move so quickly through life and we move so quickly through the world that we often don't give ourselves that opportunity to hit pause and to kind of do that introspective work. And and within that too is what you shared is a piece about self-care. And I'm curious for you, what has your self-care looked like? Because I know that going deeper with self-care and going beyond like the what is shared on social media, but self-care in terms of what is going to help you become your best self and show up in the world in the way that feels good to you. I mean, it's really profound and powerful. Yeah. And, and I do, I definitely share my individual ways that I learned to take care of myself. And it's funny because a friend who I sent an early copy to, um, after she read it, she was like, do you know that this is basically just like a love letter to yourself? Mm. Like you are just like working through these feelings and finding ways to take care of yourself. And I had never looked at it that way. And, and it really is that. And it, I think it's, you know, I borrowed a lot of wisdom from other women and tried to apply them to myself. But I think the biggest things for me were like, one would be like learning to say no. And it sounds so basic, but when you put it in a way that that corresponds with depletion, which is kind of where it fits in is when I think women try and do everything, especially because we always want to like make people happy and we don't want to disappoint people. Um, so for me saying no was important because it's like, I can say yes and then have a breakdown later because I'm doing way too much. And, or I can say no and disappoint that person maybe in the moment, but not embarrass myself and have a full fledged breakdown later. Mm -hmm. Little things like that, kind of reframing how you think about yourself and how you think about the way you respond to others. Um, another big thing, obviously, was like building rituals into my life, like finding the time to take care of myself, not feeling guilty about like getting a New Yorker subscription because reading on the subway made me feel better and made me less stressed once I got to work. So things like that. And um, I talk also, I have like a chapter on friendship and learning to kind of meet people where they are and not being so harsh on myself. And then I becoming less harsh on others. So there's so many just different ways that I think I, I think the whole book is kind of a self-care. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I love what you said that it's a love letter to yourself because I did read in the book that you help to approach or, or face head on these negative emotions and triggers and kind of just really rewire your brain and your your way of thinking through mantras of self-love. And I'm curious, what are those mantras that you've used and, and relied on? Or are there ones that you use today um, um, that have been really powerful for you? So the ones that I automatically um, go to, and 
they correspond with different chapters, but the one I keep going back to is you're not pretty like her. You're pretty like you. Mm. And really helped me in a time when I was really insecure and especially living in New York and you're around all these beautiful people all the time. You're going to parties and you start to feel like I shouldn't be here. Like I, and you would see like a model on the subway or you see someone on Instagram and all of a sudden your self-worth completely diminishes. And that confidence a lot of times is what contributes to our mood. So like when you're not feeling your best self, you're not as confident, you're not as happy, you're not as easygoing. And so like, I would look up, I would look at myself in the mirror and feel ugly and then be in a mood. And that is Mm. such a waste of my day and of my life. So when I found that mantra, you're not pretty like her, you're pretty like you, it just shifted something in me. Like, yeah, I'm not Emily Ratatowski, but I'm me. And I have like this whole, you know, repertoire of experiences and, you know, things that are unique about me and beautiful about me. And so I like made that into a sticker and I put it on the back of my phone. So like when I was walking and I saw something that maybe triggered me or I started to feel ugly, I would look at it and it completely over time rewired my brain. And I still repeat the mantra. I obviously don't need the sticker now, but I find myself repeating it and I just always feel better. Hmm. Another one is, uh, patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. Um, that's a Joyce Meyer quote that I've kind of turned into a mantra. And that's, I really apply that to everything, especially in life when you feel like, you know, things are happening for other people, success is happening or things aren't happening to you. It's like, we're in such a rush all the time and we're constantly expecting like things to happen and good things to come, but really life's kind of a waiting game. And it's what we do in the moments of waiting. And I used to think like, Oh, just like, get to the next thing. And I realized I was like wasting my life and I was in a bad mood whenever I was like in line at CVS or I was in a bad mood whenever I had to like wait for something or when a friend of mine, like, you know, was starting to get, you know, a lot of fame. I was like, Oh, this isn't fair. Or like Mm -hmm. when's my turn. And then I realized I was wasting my life just like constantly having all this anxiety when I should just be having a good attitude while I'm waiting for my turn. Mm -hmm. I love the two mantras that you just shared and the second one really spoke to me and I find it to be really powerful because what you said about life is really what we do in these moments of waiting. I have felt like the last year has been one big moment of waiting, like waiting to see what happens, waiting to see what happens next personally, but also on a collective global level, feeling frustrated maybe for so many of us, you know, with our career or our relationships or with our families, or maybe you had big plans, you know, and everything was put on hold. And I have found, and I'm curious if this has been your experience too in the last year or so, or or just in general, that the way I choose to show up every day in this moment of waiting is really defining and really powerful because it it's allowed me to build up my mindset in a different way. It's allowed me to explore, you know, really like high highs, but also like low lows. And I've had a lot of um, valleys, I guess you could say in the last year. And it's about how you show up and how you build character and how you continue to be there for yourself, you know, through these difficult times. So I just love what you said that life is really what we do in these moments of waiting. And and I think that perspective shift too really helps with those negative emotions and helps with those negative triggers too. That's so true. And it's weird because I've been having those thoughts recently, just like, because it does feel like a waiting game. Like I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm waiting for the pandemic to end. I'm waiting for my book to come out. I'm waiting, you know, for all this stuff to happen. But like, what, this is my life. Like I shouldn't right. just be 
here waiting for it to happen. It's happening right now. And I need to live in these spaces and enjoy these spaces, these in-between moments and realize that most of my life is actually these in-between moments. And then I'll get like a glimpse of the, okay, something really exciting and amazing, but that shouldn't be how I'm living my life. And, And I do think constantly reminding yourself, like, what are you waiting for? Like, what is all this waiting about? Like, you should be just living and enjoying yourself is really important especially right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a, a really good point too. And I think what you just said that this is your life, like this is your life now. And I think if we keep waiting for something to be perfect or waiting to come out of a pandemic and in the case of the reality of our lives right now, we're going to be waiting for a really long time. You know, I'm curious because we've been talking a lot about triggers and, and negative emotions, but a really huge aspect of your book is how we can really harness those negative emotions and triggers and move them, transform them into something positive and productive. And so if there's anybody listening who is you know, feeling that sense of anger or anxiety or frustration or restlessness and, and wants to transform it or transmute it into something positive and productive for themselves, where... Where is a good place to start? I feel like a good place to start is really to, as we said, kind of acknowledge that you're having these moments or these reactions. Because I think a lot of my life I lived denying it, kind of being like, um, I'm just, it's a bad day or I'm just creative. So I'm having these ups and downs and Mm -hmm. kind of just really accepting that like you're in a funk or you're upset. And then you know, it's hard for me to say because the, the, the book is full of like so many different ways, but I feel like the first thing is to kind of just be like, what is the mood like telling you? Like, what is this emotion telling you? And why is it telling you this? Mm-hmm. And then to kind of like start to think of ways that you can like pull yourself out of it, which I don't want to go through all the ways. Cause there's at least like probably 15 or 20 of them in yeah, the book. Yeah. But, um, I feel like the most important thing is to just like, when you find something that helps you get out of it, like there's this amazing quote and it's like, I forget who it's by. It's like, um, like notice when you feel your best, what, what you're wearing, who you're with, what you're doing and like recreate and repeat. Mm. That's kind of how I like to see it. Like notice the things that get you out of those funks, like that get you out of those spirals. Even if right now it might take an hour, but like one notice that you always get out of them. And that's the one beauty of moods and emotions is like they change. We change. We're not always happy, but we're not always sad either. And being able to accept like this is just a mood and it's going to change and now I have the power to get myself out of it quicker if I would like to but at the end of the day you need to start recognizing like what has gotten me out of this maybe it's a good workout like maybe it's talking to a friend maybe it's watching a just a tv show turning your mind off and when you start noticing the things those are your ways like those are your ways to get you out of it you need to start finding like ways to employ that quicker or ways that maybe if you're at work and you don't have access to like Mm -hmm. you can't just say finding something that you know will also like do this have the same effect on you. Yeah. I think what you just said brings up a really good point, which is that there's a lot of wisdom in our emotions and a lot of wisdom in the way that we're feeling. And and within that, within those emotions, there's a lot of energy and energy is constantly moving. And so our emotions are, are constantly moving and they're temporary. And so what you said is having this knowing that 
you will get out of it because you've gotten out of that bad mood before. But even beyond that too is knowing that it's temporary, that it will fluctuate. And if you can pay attention and start to notice, you know, the things that really help you shift and transform the way that you're feeling um, and then recreating it, I think is definitely the next step that that sense of repetition um, and an understanding of what it is that's unique to you that really helps you. Because I don't know about you, but my biggest takeaway from what I've read of your book and our conversation so far is that we're really all unique. We're all individual. And so while we have these like commonalities of experiencing different moods and different triggers, and um, we have different responses to things that show up in our life, the way in which we respond and how we show up in any given moment and what's going to work for us is all you know, individual. And so I think, I think that's definitely a powerful take takeaway so far for me for, for our conversation, because I think, um, it's, it's never going to be one size fits all. No, never. And, and what I really hope people get from the book is more that even if it's just one thing you take away and that's, that's enough, like one mantra or one concept that really sticks with you and that kind of shifts something. And then you can start being on the lookout for more of those. And, that's how habits are built. Like you do something over and over again. Like you finally understand something in a new way, whether it's about yourself or about what's you know happening to you. And then you just keep repeating that. And, and once you do that, your mind will adjust. And like, that's how they say like meditation, you get better at meditation by just like doing it over and over again until it becomes habit until you don't even have to think about it. And I think we all just need to be able to be like, okay, I'm just going to keep practicing this. Mm-hmm. But it feel like work, just make it feel like an experiment. That's how I feel like I always make the best changes in my life. When I have more fun with it, instead of it being like, Oh, like I have to work out today. When I like, I'm like, I'm going to experiment today to see how this workout makes me feel afterward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. It's about changing the way you look at it and and changing the perspective from like, I have to do this, but maybe I get to do this and I get to do something that's really fun for me. I saw something, I think it was like middle of like the summer and it was a post about exercising during the pandemic and, and it really emphasized doing something that you love that will make you happy. So if it's, you know, going for a walk in your neighborhood, you know, then do that. Or if it makes you feel terrible, don't do it. But focusing on the things I think that, um, help you shift into that joy or help you shift just out of that bad mood. Um, make sure it's something that's fun and, and enjoyable for you. Yeah. And, and reframing is such a big thing, especially I talk about in the book. It's, there's this thing called um, anxiety reappraisal. And what it does is there are some emotions that we feel that actually we don't, that feel like other things. So a lot of times excitement and nervous, they feel, they feel the same way in the body. And it's the way that you choose to label that feeling is what gives you the experience of it. So they've actually shown that people before they went on to like sing, um, they, it was like a drama class and they all had to get up and sing. And the people who said I'm excited instead of I'm nervous actually performed better. Mm. So it's really powerful the way that we talk to ourselves and the way that we think about the thoughts that we have and that we approach the feelings that we have. And a lot of times what we're feeling doesn't have to be what we're actually feeling. And a lot of times like nervous and excitement and anxiety are the same thing. And we just need to make the active decision to be like, no, I'm not nervous. I'm excited about this. And it will completely change the whole experience that you have. Yeah, that's a good point too. And paying attention to the way it manifests in the body, but then also beginning, goes back to what you said earlier about just naming it and, and paying attention to it and, and allowing yourself to, to move through it. What I love so much about 
this conversation, but also your book, is that it's a less about like a how-to guide, but really grounded and rooted in your own personal experience. Because, and I, I share this on the podcast all the time, but I know that there's so much we can take and learn, not only from sharing our own experience, but hearing someone else share theirs. And there's always, I think, a sense of vulnerability um, that shows up that that's touching for us personally, but but also for others. And I'm curious, you know, what was what has been your experience sharing your raw and vulnerable emotions in this way and also sharing your own personal experiences because um, it's kind of like lifting the veil, you know, off of who you are and and you run such a beautiful platform. And up until this book, I don't know, have people really had an opportunity to get to know you in this way? They really haven't. I've, I've really been anonymous the past five years, which um, I don't know if I'm glad I did it or, or not glad, but I think mm-hmm. I wanted to be anonymous because I wasn't ready. Yeah. And when I writing the book though, I was going through. So it took five years because I was having these experiences and I wanted to keep having them because I noticed a pattern like, okay, like this is a trigger and let's see what happens next time the same trigger comes up and what I can do. And then I had to keep having these experiences. But for example, like in the book, I talk about, you know, I got married during the time I was writing this and the wedding prompted a lot of feelings because I think, you know, when you have these big life events, like a wedding or have a baby, you're forced to kind of look at your life as a whole for a minute. And, you know, who are the people in my life? Who am I inviting? Who are my friends at this point in my life? Mm -hmm. And I had this kind of, it was, it was, I was stressed and I had this big awakening. Like I don't have the friendships I thought I would have at 29. Um, I, and that kind of went into the friendship chapter and I was forced to kind of reevaluate my friendships and look at why I don't have the friendships I thought I would have. Why have I lost contact with these people? Um, and I was going through the actual experience while writing about it, which I think is what makes the book so honest and vulnerable because Mm -hmm. I was living out an experiment with myself. And I was like, okay, I haven't talked to, you know, this, my college friends in ages, what would happen if I reached out to them? And like, what would happen if I actually took this advice that I'm giving and really applied it? And I definitely like was going through it as I was writing it. And so you'll see, like, I have that, there's an, a moment at Christmas with my family in the book that I write about. And I definitely, I definitely was nervous to publish it. Um, but I was really cathartic and I definitely mm-hmm. feel, you know, a different person now that it's done and it's out of me and it's written. Like I've kind of put to bed all these, all these moments and these issues and these experiences that I had before, you know, let run in my mind. And now I feel much just more at peace with myself. Hmm. I love that. And I think there's so much power in sharing our personal experiences in that way. But what you said about you had to make sure that you were ready and that maybe in the last five years, you really weren't ready yet. And I think that's such a beautiful point. And I want to make sure we touch on it because it's a way of honoring yourself and honoring your own journey and in your own path and trajectory rather than forcing yourself to show up in a way that you weren't ready for yet. And I think especially in online spaces, there can be this sense of pressure or overwhelm to show up in a certain way, to share so much of your life, to share so much of who you are, but you have to be wanting to do that, but also ready to do that. And I think what you just shared is a really powerful reminder and speaks so beautifully to to the fact that choosing to honor yourself by allowing yourself to show up in a way that speaks to you when you're ready is going to 
not only help you in your own personal healing process, but then make sure that you're sharing your truth in a way that that is authentic to you. So I just want to make sure we touch on that because I think that is such a good point, especially when we're all online and we all can experience this sense of pressure or or overwhelm to share ourselves um, and our lives in a certain way. Oh, definitely. And I think it actually made more of an impact because I waited Mm -hmm. because when the book was ready, I was ready. And so I was told like, you know, my 250,000 Instagram followers, like, Hey, by the way, like, this is me. This is the girl who's been talking to you the last five years. And Mm -hmm. I have more to say, and this is kind of what I've been doing and what it's been leading to. And I think I got so much positive love and, and feedback from these women who've like, I've been waiting to meet you. Like, this is so amazing. And I think, you know, no one cared that it took me five years I think what mattered was I showed up authentically when I was ready to show up and people sense that. And I think people are so starved for authenticity because everything is so like, you know, programmed and fake and everyone's just so like perfect and with filters. And I, I come on now and if I do do like an Insta story, which I never did before, like I usually am not wearing makeup. Um, I mean, sometimes if I have like an interview, I will be, but I try and just be like, this is who I am. And like, especially because I talk so much about beauty in the book and how to reconcile with that. I really, this is, I'm showing up as me and I'm not going to be ashamed to be me. And I have these flaws and I, I feel this way and I hate looking at myself on screen, but (laughs) at a point I need to get over that and I'm going to get over it with you guys. And I think people do appreciate it. Yeah, I think so too. And I certainly have as someone from afar who's been following along and, and I'd love to talk a little bit about words of women, if we can, because I know that your own experiences and your own moods and the the hold that they've had on you. And, and I know you've shared this in the book, but I also know that it helped to inspire words of wisdom because you began to blog about all the wisdom that you've uncovered. And and so I would love to talk a little bit about this community that you've built, because I think it's really powerful. Um, and it speaks to your work and, and what you've, you've been up to. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I appreciate that because, you know, when I started, I remember my sister, I think was like, like, I think I had like 10,000 followers probably after like a year. And she was like, or two years. And she's like, how many more followers do you really think you're going to get from a quote account? And I was like, it's not a quote account. Like Mm. it's, I'm trying to express that these feelings that we have, these other amazing, incredible women also feel the same way. And that's also the crux of the book, like knowing that you are not alone and feeling maybe lost, maybe feeling insecure, knowing that, you know, you're not alone in these, because you can feel very isolated by your feelings. You can yeah, feel absolutely. like I'm not the only one who feels this way. And I, that was the point, like these women were helping me when I would read like, um, you know, Isabella Rossellini also felt like insecure. And when I would read like these amazing women, like Ariana Huffington also like couldn't sleep at night, like that made me feel better. And I, and I just wanted to share that with other women. And I think that's why it kind of grew and grew so organically was because I wasn't trying to be like, it wasn't women empowerment. That wasn't like the goal. It was more like, I feel this way. Do you guys feel this way too? And in a way it is empowerment to, to build a community and to know that you're not alone, but it kind of, that's not how I looked at it back then. Mm-hmm. I just looked at it as like, there's so many women out there who probably feel how we feel and we can learn from them. And we can also feel better knowing they felt the same way. And I also love their wisdom. And there's a lot of older women I feature on the account, like, you know, Dame Judy Dench. And, 
you know, she talks about the things that she wished she hadn't stressed about when she was younger. And I think women really resonate with that. And, and it does change us. And another thing was just, I wanted women to see something else when they were scrolling on Instagram, because mm-hmm. that was definitely a trigger for me. But when you're seeing like, Oh, like hot girl at the beach, like hot girl, my best friend, <laughs> hang out without me with some other girl. Like you start to feel like, Oh great, this feels terrible. And then you come across like a quote that has nothing to do with beauty. That has nothing to do with anything you think you have to be thinking about. It's something that kind of reframes your thinking. And it might be about, you know, success. It might just be about, you know, how to love better. It might be about, um, how to be a better, you know, person, how to be a better daughter. And all of a sudden, like, those superficial things that you were stressed about take kind of a, a backseat. And I thought, you know, if women see this enough, maybe it'll start changing the way that we care, like we think about things and mm-hmm. our priorities. Mm-hmm. The way we think about ourselves, the way we think about the world, the way we think about our, our place in the world and in our individual communities. I think it's really powerful because it goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of this conversation, that there's really a lot of wisdom within our experiences, our moods, our emotions. And if we can choose, I think, to harness that wisdom and hold on to it and, and be reflective and introspective and take a moment um, to really to really think on it, I think it's so much it's so powerful and it's life-changing because I think the instinct is to push these emotions away or to push these difficult feelings away. But what you've chosen to do is to harness it, to pull it together and to share it, um, to not only show people that they're not alone, which is something that you and I share in common. And that's definitely an, um, a mission and an impact of the podcast as well. But in addition to showing people that they're not alone, but also show them that, hey, there's a way through this. There's a way to express it and, and learn from it and, and move through it. And I think I think it's really powerful. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And yeah. the book is filled with a lot of stuff that I, you know, I learned on my way and from Instagram and like a lot of stories about women that I think it's weird. You'll hear a story about like, you know, we think we understand people like you'll hear a story about Elizabeth Taylor and her like $7 million ring. But I tell like the true story of that ring and why she got that ring. And so it kind of, even though it's just a story about Elizabeth Taylor, what I hope is that it changes your perception of how you view people and how like you never really know the full story. So it's like in using these women's stories, I'm trying to get you to see a different way of thinking. Mm, I think you're definitely doing that. I have loved this conversation with you, Lauren, and I think it's going to be so timely for so many as we start 2021 and enter a new year. And I think now is the time to think about, you know, our experiences and our emotions and how we can really use them to, you know, harness our best selves and our best lives and, and move forward in a really, I think, positive way. And, and before we go, I, I want to ask you the question that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, and that's, what is your biggest dream? My biggest dream is that this book will make everyone not change, but think about things just a little differently and start being a little kinder. And the world itself will just become a little mm-hmm. bit nicer place to live. Like that's all. Like I just, my biggest dream is to just see like, I think more compassion in people and more compassion in myself, which I'm constantly striving for more compassion and tenderness. And I think that's why like this book, it's like a love letter to myself, but also a love letter to women, a love letter to the world. It's like, I just want to see more kindness. And like, that would probably be my biggest dream. Mm, 
I love that because what comes from that space of self-compassion and kindness and in introspection, like you've shared throughout this conversation is kindness and compassion for others. And so I hope it'll be a domino effect too. That would be so beautiful and powerful. And I think the world needs it now more than ever. I agree. I just think we're in such a crazy volatile time that like, I just, it's like really just, I'm like, I just want everyone to like, I just, mm-hmm. the, the world to be a little lighter and yeah. that's all I really yeah. hope. But um, I've so enjoyed this conversation. Oh, me too. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where, where can everybody find you, Words of Women? Check out your new book, The Book of Moods. Where, where can everybody find you? So The Book of Moods is available through Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all your local bookstores, Target, um, IndieBound. Um, it's international as well. Um, and then Words of Women is the Instagram account. If you just you know look it up on Instagram, it's also a website um, and it's on Facebook. So Perfect. you could definitely find the book through there as well. Perfect. Everything's going in the show notes. It'll be so easy for everyone to connect and follow if they aren't already. And Lauren, thank you so much again for such a powerful conversation. I think Uh, My biggest takeaway is just there's so much wisdom in our moods. And if we can begin to check in with ourselves, ask us what these feelings are, why are they showing up? We really have the power to turn them into something positive for us. So thank you. You totally get it. Well, thank you so much for having me. 